0: From Hudson Institute's Pennsylvania Avenue Headquarters in Washington, D.C., this is Policy Talk. I'm your host, Brian Blake. Policy Talk highlights Hudson's work to promote American leadership and global engagement for a secure, free, and prosperous future. In each episode, we examine, in depth, a specific policy issue that affects the United States and our relationship with the world. We hope you'll subscribe to our regular episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you like us, rate us. And now, today's topic. Every year in Washington, hundreds of federal departments, agencies, and commissions publish thousands of rules and regulations, most going completely unnoticed and unremarked upon by the average American. But late in 2017, millions of Americans went from ignorant to outraged nearly overnight over the proposed rollback of two-year-old Federal Communications Commission rules, popularly known as net neutrality. The fervor spread across social media with the speed of the best viral Internet memes, as net neutrality proponents warned that if the rules were rescinded, the future of the free and open Internet was at risk. As the anger grew, it spilled from social media to the streets, with large protests in Washington and in front of Verizon stores nationwide. Protesters even found their way to the home of FCC Chair Ajit Pai, with a few of the more irate threatening the lives of the once obscure federal bureaucrat and his family. With the possible exception of the long-ago rescinded Fairness Doctrine, Never had an FCC regulation invited such intense feelings. Despite all the grassroots anger, the FCC proceeded, eliminating the Obama-era net neutrality rules in December of 2017, with the change taking effect officially in June of this year. So why did a debate over largely technical FCC rules become so heated? What is net neutrality, and why do Silicon Valley behemoths like Netflix and Facebook want net neutrality reinstated, while huge internet service providers like Verizon and Comcast We're happy to see them go away. What was the internet like during the decades prior to net neutrality? What effects did we see from net neutrality during the two years it was in place? And what can we expect now that it's been eliminated? To answer those questions and help us grasp the complex issues involved, we are joined today on Policy Talk by Rob McDowell. Rob is one of the nation's leading experts on telecommunications law and policy and has had a front row seat in the net neutrality debate since it began. Prior to his current roles as a Hudson Institute Senior Fellow and a partner at the law firm Cooley LLP, Rob served for seven years as one of the five presidentially appointed FCC Commissioners, first being appointed by President George W. Bush in 2006 and then being reappointed by President Barack Obama in 2009. During his time at the FCC, Rob was a part of the formative debate on net neutrality, witnessed the issue evolve, and has since been highly sought after for his perspective and expertise on it and other telecom issues. Rob is a graduate of Duke University and William and & Mary's Marshall Weith School of Law. Rob, I really appreciate you joining me today on Policy Talk. Thanks for, thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So Rob, as I mentioned in the intro, this is an issue that has elicited a lot of passion, um, some of it channeled in unhelpful ways. So I guess my frustration has been that the amount of anger has not always correlated well, from, at least from my perspective, with the amount of understanding of the issues involved. Um, which is why I wanted to have you on today. You've always been somebody that when I've seen you discuss this issue, talk about it very logically and uh, and with a lot of, of knowledge, frankly. So perhaps for starters, um, you can give us a history of net neutrality, particularly where the concept came from, and we'll go from there.
1: Absolutely. And it's great and brave of you to be tackling this, uh, this subject because this will be a topic of conversation for years to come. So the term net neutrality itself doesn't have any legal significance. So you're absolutely right. There are a lot of people with very strong opinions about this topic, not really knowing how networks work, how the Internet works, uh, the economics of it, and aren't really sure what net neutrality means. I think uh, I've seen some polling that says the average consumer uh, thinks it means sort of general consumer protection in the Internet space, and it applies to content providers and search companies and uh, anyone uh, online equally to Internet service providers, and that would be a cable company or a phone company. Or a wireless company um, that they actually provide the connectivity for you to do all those things, and that's that's not what it the fight has been all about at all. Um, and so, I think that that alone shatters a lot of people's core beliefs about what they think they're talking about, right? Um, so, it goes back the term goes back to about 2004 when uh, a now Columbia uh, law professor, uh, Tim Wu coined the term net neutrality, and even his definition has, has morphed a bit over the years. Uh, the idea um, was, uh, can consumers go anywhere on the net, download uh, lawful content, uh, and not be frustrated by what at the time was seen as Internet service providers that were sort of middlemen uh, standing between consumers and content and applications on the Internet? Uh, so it was a behavioral uh Construct That he was trying to come up with in a theoretical sort of academic way back in 04. Uh, At the time, during the first Bush administration, uh, then FCC Chairman Michael Powell, who happens to be a friend of mine and also son of uh, General Colin Powell, uh, came up with the four freedoms that he has for the Internet, which is all those things I just said, which is basically consumers are protected. But they weren't rules, they, they were guidelines, they were more rhetoric. Why weren't they rules? They weren't rules because there were laws already on the books, federal statutes already on the books uh, that prevented internet service providers from acting in anti-competitive way or in ways that uh, harm or frustrate consumer demand. For instance, there's the Federal Trade Commission Act, there's the Clayton Act, and there's the Sherman Act. So how do we know those, those laws actually worked? we know those laws worked because from the time the internet was privatized uh, and it migrated further away from federal government control well, y- basi- what year was that so right? that was in the mid 90s okay. some people market it at 94 right. uh, or thereabouts it happened that's a about couple the time stages. i
0: got my first AOL account so that's right? about what those those uh, C- cd roms started showing up in our mail
1: right before that was CompuServe you had yep. dial up and uh, so these computer to computer networks um, so they've been computer to computer networks since really the 50s or, or 60s certainly uh, but the internet itself um, was a more robust uh, network with a, a protocol called TCPIP, IP not to get too technical but it was very diverse and sort of self-healing and could respond quickly to uh, disruptions in the network and, and route around congestion points and things like that. Anyway so that was privatized in the mid 90s um, and the uh, uh, so you saw this tremendous proliferation of online services, right? Uh, you can think of certainly like an Amazon.com, for instance, which started essentially in the mid-'90s, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then with the, the growth of smartphones, we can fast forward to 4G. The iPhone came out in 2007 before there was the fourth generation of 4G, you know, broadband, mobile broadband connectivity. That really saw the explosion of the app economy. So we saw content and services, e-tailers, um, and then that's apps. because
0: you're all of a sudden just for our lay listeners here, all of a sudden the internet that you got on your phone, you need a lot more broadband or maybe not broadband is not the right term, but yeah, bandwidth, did, absolutely, bandwidth. broadband to, to do these apps that we now kind of take for granted when I get on my, you know, United airlines flight and open my United app and just use these things in, in everyday life. Amazon, you named them
1: all. We take those for granted. You're absolutely yeah. right. And there are now millions of them. And the app economy is something that, by the way, that no regulator or government official foresaw. Yeah. Uh, I'll just tell you that because I started right. at the FCC in 2006 before the app economy. Wow. And nobody, nobody was seeing this coming. So it's a great uh, illustration of how the market really is smarter than government. And yep. uh, we can't foresee what the, the next uh, twist and turn may be or the next development. In any case, so what allowed these companies that were started in – High school, you know, labs or college dorm rooms become now some of the wealthiest companies on the planet Earth, literally, uh, of all time, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and that was the, the legal construct that prevented anti-competitive conduct so that you had low barriers to entry. If you could write code and could come up with the right algorithm or set of uh, algorithms, uh, you could create a very useful application or search tool or, or e-tailer, uh, e-tailer type um, uh, business plan and make billions, and this has happened time and time and time again. Well, how did that happen? Uh, if uh, there were uh, inadequate laws, uh, there weren't inadequate laws. That's the answer. The, the right. laws were perfect; they were light touch, but they were um, clear. So over time, though, um, some uh, of those companies and uh, let me let me rewind the tape briefly. When you know, I was at the FCC from 2006 to 2013, and Perhaps the most common request I got if you boil it all down, you know, we regulated all sorts of industries. From one industry to another would be, please regulate my rival, but not me. Right. Right. He's running too fast. The other guy's running too fast. Can you slow him down? I don't want to run that fast. Okay. So that happened time and time again. I won't mention industries. A lot of these are great American industries. Uh, They're all great American industries. But uh, that is very, very common. So along comes the idea of Title II Title II of the Communications Act of 1934. That was a really a common carriage regulation, we call it. It goes back to 17th century regulation of canals and innkeepers before that. Um, and uh, it was invented for the Ma Bell phone monopoly, which operated completely differently, and it was, there were different market conditions, so technologically different, different economics involved. Um, and some wanted to impose Title II, old-fashioned, Mobile phone monopoly regulation on internet service providers
0: to so, make it. Mobile was seen as a public utility. What it took correct. that took was something that was a private enterprise and made it a public utility. Correct at the it's,
1: time. exactly. And actually, AT&T back at the time wanted that exchange. They they sought protection. So uh, high degrees of regulation actually protect large incumbents, right, right. right? And so they saw their patents slipping away. The Alexander Graham Bell patents. Uh, were expiring, and they were trying to figure out how do we hang on to a good thing. And there were a lot of competing phone companies, actually, the turn of the century. And they started buying them up and and, then undercutting the prices and forcing them out of business and other things. So anyway, um, they made the the Kingsbury Commitment, uh, what it's called. They made basically an exchange saying we will uh, subject ourselves to regulation uh, provided we kind of get a monopoly.
0: So this is, I think, an important point, just as a quick aside, that that folks here, because in debates like this, in Washington, you often hear, um, you know, those in favor of uh, more restrictive regulations saying, well, look, these companies even want it. They they say it's important as somehow that's virtuous of them. When in reality, I've experienced this in my 20 years in D.C., you, of course, uh, you know, have, have as well. Oftentimes, the, these companies are seeking, as you said, protections and barriers to entry to smaller startups that are trying to get into the market or, you know, things regulations they can't possibly the resources to overcome um, help the big companies oftentimes so exactly in fact almost exclusively do so
1: regulation tends to help large incumbents and harms entrepreneurs right and it's the opposite of how those concepts are sold politically which is this is to protect consumers or to protect entrepreneurs so you always have to look a couple steps beyond what the sales pitch is Um, and you can see uh, from in the transportation sector you had the railroads uh, with the interstate commerce act of 1888 uh, subjecting themselves to common carriage regulation, uh, along comes trucking in the 1920s. And instead of them saying, "Oh, please free us," the railroads saying, "Please yeah. free us from regulation." Once you regulate them the way we are regulated, so that locked in sort of monopolies in trucking. Right. Then airlines come along. Same thing happened. They instead of saying, "Free us all from regulation," because there's competition and and transportation, so on and so on. Um, and so. So
0: this is what we're seeing with this net neutrality thing. We'll get into exactly how this is analogous, but. This is just similar to a pattern that we've always seen in D.C.
1: Exactly. So what's interesting is going back to the mid-90s when the Internet was privatized, related to this, you had the Clinton-Gore administration saying, heck no, and it was the bipartisan, actually even global consensus. But it was certainly all Republicans, all Democrats in Washington were saying the Internet is nascent. Um, It's different from anything else we've seen technologically and as a market. Let's not put these old phone company regulations, this Title II right. thing, on internet service providers like cable companies, phone companies, wireless companies. We think that would actually squelch or, or, or harm the blossoming, the the, the emerging, you know, the emerging uh, nature of this, and uh, somehow stunt its growth. And so they were right. So I, when I was on the commission for seven years, I was a Republican, free market Republican. Defending Clinton Gore administration policy on this, um, and so politically things have changed. It's right? A little humorous, it is, yeah. But they got it right, and I want right. no, to they you know they did. You and so give them credit. And, and uh, but some of the same people back then who were you know, defending it, it back then, this notion and their arguments are right back then. You know, it changed their tune a bit. So uh, along comes the notion. The first time Title II is proposed by the FCC is May of 2010. It might have been June of 2010. Um with uh, Chairman Jekowski, I was on the FCC at the time, Julius Jenikowski, um, and he decides not to go there. Uh, he Who proposed it. Well, he did. I mean, so the majority – this the only notice of proposed rulemaking I actually descended from, uh, long story short. But anyway, because I've always believed in – there's an idea. I may disagree with it, but let's have a public record or debate. And this one, I was like, this is just such a stupid idea to begin with. We shouldn't even be having this in PRM. There are rules and laws already on the books that do the job. Everything – all the parts of the parade of horribles you're talking about are already illegal. Yeah. All right. So that's why we have the wonderful internet we do today. As I was saying that back in, in, in
0: a minute, I want you to go. And maybe now is not the time, no, but sure. go through the what are the parade of horribles that are trotted out? Because I, this is what has spun people into a fervor. You know, many many folks into a fervor about why the repeal of net neutrality after being imposed in in 2015 has is just disastrous. And and I kind of want to walk through some of those um, individually, those horribles, and, and why that's not the case. Yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely, this is as good. good as ever. Um, so one is that
1: internet service providers, your phone company, your cable company, your wireless company, they will uh, slow down the speeds of websites that they don't favor so that a website would have to pay them extra for you to get faster speeds to download a movie or whatever it is right. you want to watch, a, a video clip. Um, and that they could play favorites Well, once you start talking about exclusive dealing in any context, in any industry, that instantly gets the the attention of antitrust and competition law regulators. So the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice would be very interested on a bipartisan basis if an Internet service provider were frustrating demand. But it also just doesn't make any business sense, by the way. Forget the legal construct for a minute, which is an Internet service provider makes money by selling bandwidth. Um, it can sell bandwidth on two sides, so to the consumer and it also to the large, let's say, content provider or some content provider that provides movies, let's say. They, they have to hook up a huge pipe at that end um, and a smaller pipe for the consumer, but yeah. um, those are getting faster all the time. Um, and so if you think of the context, anyone who's used a toll-free number, that's what we call a, a two-sided market. You actually have, let's say, L.L. Bean. I'll just use them. Yeah. You call L.L. Bean to order some boots. Um, and they're paying for the phone call. You aren't. Uh, but there are some content folks and, and application providers and others who would prefer that consumers bear all the costs, that there not be a two-sided market, and that there be one speed for everything. That doesn't work in any other context. There's no. product and service differentiation for everything else, including in common carriage. Yeah. So, so Title II actually, by the way, the part of the funny part of this, is, the twist is, is that the proponents of Title II and calling it net neutrality... We're saying this will prevent discriminatory pricing or, or a two-sided market. And actually that's not the case. The 80 plus years, 84 years of case law under Title II, the Communications Act of 1934, um, very clearly and repeatedly, thousands of times over and over, says actually those are okay as so long as you treat all parties the same, similarly situated parties the same. Um, so again, this is one of the fallacies which you know, by, we've already lost probably half the audience that are listening no, no, to this. No, I don't, I don't but, think so. We have, we have educated listeners. <laughs> this is true. But anyone who's saying oh, I'm all for net neutrality, once you start drilling down to what Title II really is, they don't know what Title II really is, right? And it's not that great. So necessarily. it's
0: not protecting all all the things about the, the the proponents of net neutrality are saying it'll it'll protect consumers from this sort of behavior. They were already protected already. They were protected and, already, and, yeah. and, and, and with a legal structure that's been in place for decades.
1: Yeah. And if, if, let's say a Verizon, your wireless service provider, if they were, had some favorite deal, you know, some favoritism with a content provider, that those movies would get downloaded faster to the exclusion of all others. That's probably an antitrust violation right there. Right. So there's a lot of things you have to prove to get there, but that's why it hasn't happened now. Well,
0: yeah, the best argument you're going to keep, you keep saying it, which is, which needs to be said, it hasn't happened since the internet. So what, what was the big push to make this happen in 2015? Like who was, you don't have to name names, but what what sort of philosophy and groups are behind this? When when we've when when it's clear if you're a you know, free marketer and or, or anyone, a consumer, you've seen the incredible innovation that's happened with the internet, the way the world's changed. I remember watching when I was, you know, in ninety five that movie, I think it was called The Net, where Sandra Bullock ordered a pizza off the internet. And I remember watching her like put the pepperoni on. It. I was like, "That's insane! That that that'll ever happen." That, that'll ever happen. And that's the way I only way I order pizza now. You that's know, right, right. I mean, it's just it, the quantum changes have, have been amazing. So, um, the best argument against this has been the fact that none of these things have happened. Yeah, we have this beautiful
1: uh, economy, the internet economy, precisely because of the. The laws so, so the people to. that
0: were kind of – we keep talking about ISPs. I, I want to make sure we have defined those terms. Internet service provider is your cable company. You mentioned Verizon, AT&T. These are the people that spend billions of dollars building networks that are then the pipes that you're talking about, that the Internet is able to flow through. And, th- and this is not something that happens, you know, for free, they there's a lot of infrastructure building there, which about is about one
1: point five trillion in spending I since thought the you 90s. might know the number. I was yeah, so that's cable companies, wireless companies, your traditional so phone Comcast, companies, you know, Verizon. It's exactly it CenturyLink, a and, small role phone companies. A lot of folks. Yeah.
0: Good. So then, service content providers are Netflix is probably a, a very simple one for our listeners to understand, but but the big, uh, not just big, they can be small. Anyone that uses these um, Amazon. You know, Google, anyone that uses these internet uh, tubes, I always make that joke going back to the God bless Senator yeah, Stevens. Yeah, Senator Steven, sweet. But anyone that uses these pipes tubes to to carry their data. So those are kind of the two, you've got the people that make it and the people that need to use it. And then the consumers, obviously, are the beneficiary of, of these huge networks of the amazing content that's available to us. Um, that means I have no yes. time left in my life to to watch TV because there's just too many options right, for me, right. not even TV to, to stream things. Anything video, yeah. Yeah, so so those are kind of the two. Um, so was it the internet service providers that wanted this? There's been some talk. That they, they, it seems like they wouldn't. Is it the content providers that kind of pushed this, or was it more of a political, philosophical group that you mentioned, the, the guy at Columbia who's kind of pushed this idea. What, what? How did it gain momentum to the point where it – Actually, was enacted in 2015.
1: Well, it gained momentum in, in uh, 2008 when um, Barack Obama was running for president. So you actually say late 2007, okay. or early 2008 was when the primaries were, and he made this a fundamental part of his um, platform, um, and Hillary Clinton did did not. Yeah. So one could argue there was you know money from the valley or interests from the valley yeah. that influenced this. But let me let me. Uh, um, argue the side of the the pro net neutrality proponents for a second, which is because there's some, you know, the, the, there are a lot of startups or potential startups, venture capitalists, et cetera, who say that internet service providers have a disincentive to help them. Uh, Their incentive is just to kind of milk the profits from their existing broadband networks and not invest in them. Um, Or to gouge us, um, uh, by charging us fees for faster speeds, or the larger players, uh, online players, and you know content apps, search, whatever, um, would uh, have an incentive to pay the internet service provider for faster service, so that you as a consumer yeah. could download video from x.com company, and um, the startup in his or her proverbial garage uh, would not be able to compete and do that. Right. That's the fear. That's the heart of the entrepreneur's fear. Yeah, and that's inequality. an argument I think most people we'll be sympathetic towards. Yeah, and it's easy Absolutely. to explain. It like, is. I don't want Comcast dictating who gets to be uh, a uh, a success, you yeah. know, an entrepreneurial yeah, exactly. success. Right, and you go, oh my gosh, that's right, we need rules. Yes. And you have them. You've had them, and that's why it hasn't happened. Right. And so that's what I try to explain to people. Um, Clayton Act and Sherman Act in particular, but also Federal Trade Commission Act, and they're they all can come to bear in different ways and at the same time, by the way.
0: Which is why a MySpace no longer exists and Facebook was able to yeah. come in. They were Good. at one point that little, you know, startup um, Good point. in the, a Harvard the, dorm. And now, exactly. My, okay.
1: When I was sworn in June 1st, 2006 at the FCC, MySpace was the largest social networking site and that got eclipsed within two years. Yeah. And why is that? Well, because the legal construct and, and Facebook, you know, did better for, you know, for, for all it the right business product. reasons, it made yeah. a better product and serve. So... That's right. So that's that's at the heart of the argument. Or there's the fast lane, slow lane argument. That's an extension of what I just said. Um, or there's the an Internet service provider is going to buy content. So if you look at, the, for instance, the AT&T uh, acquisition of Time Warner Inc., so they're going to favor their content uh, over others. Um, a, that doesn't make a lot of sense business-wise because you would destroy the value of your content because fewer people would be able to see it. So if you're in an area where AT&T isn't or if you use Verizon or T-Mobile or somebody else, you want if you're AT&T owning HBO, you want everybody in America to watch Game of Thrones, right? Right. Uh, So your content is only valuable if a lot of people watch it. Uh, So there's no business reason why that would happen, number one. So that's a disincentive. Um, And that's why the government lost its AT&T lawsuit because they were kind of alleging this. But uh, at the same time, If that were to happen, as we have just saw through the DOJ's uh, lawsuit against AT&T, against that deal, DOJ would be all over it. This is a Republican administration that that brought that suit, right? So that cuts across party lines. So if there were, again, exclusive conduct or anti-competitive conduct, um, that would get the immediate attention of antitrust regulators as well as, by the way, state attorneys general. Uh, that's all, and, and the plaintiffs' bar, the trial lawyers. So there's all there would be an avalanche of lawsuits uh, that would happen if these sorts of things started to happen. Right. That's why they well, never happened. not to happened. mention
0: the the same consumers that are right now exercised and outraged about net neutrality in the first place. If they found out that AT and T was you know blocking Star Wars Disney content or Marvel movie content from AT and T was keeping that from going, they they would all immediately specifically boycott or or create the problems from corporate on the corporate side, yeah. uh, which is the marketplace working, which is which is why this has probably never happened and never would make business sense to do.
1: Yeah. And, and the, some of the companies you mentioned are now you know, past the trillion-dollar mark in uh, market cap yes. and are the most powerful uh, or most uh, highly capitalized uh, companies maybe in the history of the world. Uh, it's not like they couldn't afford an antitrust lawsuit right. uh, if, if they're being harmed. So yeah. that's something else to
0: consider too. Okay. So one of the, going back to the parade of horribles, one of the things that was racing around the internet I saw, and I don't think I've ever seen my internet feed, even Obamacare, fill up as much on my Facebook feed and, and Twitter as I did net neutrality when, when this really peaked um, you know, last year and, and the year before, uh, and even now, um, was this idea that if if we allow net neutrality to be repealed after just being you know introduced again in 2015, that all of a sudden you're going to have a Facebook every Facebook post is going to cost 20 cents. There was like a I don't know if you've seen yep. this this meme that's a a, a a schedule, obviously kind of done in bad faith by I think by the person who made it, but but something that people reasonably could believe it could be the case. Can You explain why that wouldn't happen or could it happen? Sure, I mean
1: so again back to the superficial understanding of all this so. The Title II order at the FCC was in late February of 2015. You would think, from everything that's been said in the past year, that the internet was born in February of 2015. And so, I've sarcastically said, yes, and before February of 2015, we had this dystopia that startups (laughs) couldn't get going in the internet space. Uh, Nothing was happening. There was no such thing as broadband. It was a suffocating atmosphere. And thank God that the you know the internet was actually born, I think it was February 25th of 2015. Of course, none of that's true. Right. It was a vibrant, robust marketplace before then. Um, and so when in 2017, as the FCC was gearing up to repeal that um, 2015 order, uh, largely repeal is a tiny part of it that's still left, um, the campaign, the public affairs campaign, which was really quite cynical, really got ginned up. And again, it's in sound bites that are easy for people to understand. And the herd got spooked, you know, very quickly and very easily. And so people don't understand the legalities of the economics, all this or the history, right? Um, And so when you you see, you know, it doesn't matter if it was Fox News or MSNBC, New York Times or Wall Street Journal, oftentimes on the reporting side, not the editorial side, but on the reporting side, it was – Net neutrality is the concept that all internet traffic should be treated equally and it protects consumers and online startups. And that's going to be repealed. And that's how it was reported by the left, right, middle of media. If there is a middle left in the media. But anyway, that's another story. Um, (laughs) And so, of course, people are going to freak out and not understand. Oh my gosh, I mean, everyone's telling me this. And my, both my parents are journalists and I, mm-hmm. I respect uh, the profession and they were they're, they're gone, God bless them but uh, they came from a different generation where they did look to report every relevant fact right yeah. and, and in a balanced way and they would have been appalled at how there are these sort of carbon copies from one reporter to the next right. in a very lazy fashion just repeating the same mischaracterization of the whole um, of the whole thing. And if you could you know, create a story that essentially says Trump kills the internet, that's going to get a lot of clicks sure and so we live in this age of the more sensational or outrageous the story the more clicks you get therefore the more money you're going to make Click, as a publication clickbait just want to be called exactly
0: so when net neutrality why don't we talk a little about what happened when it was put in place cuz we it was in place for what two years roughly the the um i don't know you said net neutrality has no legal but the the idea title of two. yeah title, title 2, two classification, when that was yeah. when that was when they classified a title 2 and net neutrality was pushed forward what what did effect did it have on the ISPs and let's talk about innovation or building their networks? Did yeah, absolutely.
1: Excellent point. Yeah, so there'll be some studies coming out. I've seen some early sort of drafts uh, where uh, capital expenditures the tens of billions of dollars spent every year to maintain or improve uh, internet uh, connectivity, so fiber, cell towers, antennas for your mobile phone, et cetera, et cetera antennas like on rooftops and on the cell towers, um, that cost tens of billions per year. That investment started to slow down. So independent Wall Street analysts back in 2010, but also in uh, 2014, were saying, you know what, with this uh, economic regulation, this threat of potential price regulation that Title II brings with it, um, in a competitive market, by the way, especially wireless broadband, but that's uh, we'll drill, drill down on that in a minute that we're going to see reduced capital expenditures. This is really sort of a regulatory law of physics, I call it, which it doesn't matter what industry you're talking about. Uh, you can go back to the New Deal in the early 1930s. When you introduce a new regulatory regime, investors will flat out tell you, and any any lender it could yeah. be a bank lending money to a wireless company to build out their network. They'll tell you there's this new law or new regulation out there. We're not quite sure how it's going to be interpreted. So we're going to pull back our investment, our size of the loan, or yeah. if it's equity, you know, whatever. So we're gonna give you less money to, to do those things because we're not quite, there's more risk here. We don't know how it's gonna be interpreted. We don't know what's gonna happen. And we don't know when we'll get our investment back or if, because we don't know how this is gonna be enforced. And that takes years to try to figure that out. So that's that could be in any context, railroads, telecom, trucking, airlines, uh, you name it, capital markets just generally. And that's one reason the Great Depression was prolonged as long as it was. Right, right. Uh, So, uh, but anyway, so uh, that's what happened here. So you started to see a slowdown in investment starting in investment in broadband networks starting in 2014. From 2013 to 2014, there was a step down. Certainly, from 2014 to 2015, there was another step down, and that another step down into 2016. So slow. A reduction of investment in broadband networks and then we started once we had the surprise election um, and then uh, chairman of the fcc ajit pai and uh, at the time commissioner mike o'reilly uh, were talking about one of the first priorities they would have would be to restore the legal and regulatory structure back to way, the way it was before february 2015. then did you see um, capital expenditures investment in these networks start to increase right. and we're going to see I think, a big bump. And, and I'm sure people will try to debunk it or critique it as, oh, it's the economic recovery generally or whatever. Yeah. But no, it, I mean, anyone is lending money. They're not keeping a secret as to why. Um, it's going to be because that that sort of Damocles, the swinging back and forth over the head of uh, Internet service providers uh, of all that regulation of Title II is gone, at least for now. So and,
0: why is all that investment good for consumers?
1: That's a yeah, great question. So that's good for consumers because you can get – Faster broadband speeds in more places. So that's going to be important as we go to the fifth generation of wireless, in particular,
0: five G. Five G. We yeah.
1: call it. Yep, very good. Um, and that's going to be the next generation, uh, which will be uh, 100 megs per second. You know, cable modem speeds, but on a mobile but basis, on your, on your phone, mobility, so you can download a movie on your phone in seconds, or very few seconds, five seconds, four seconds, three seconds, or maybe less. Um, and the internet of things and that explosion and all the unforeseen things we don't know that are going to happen, but we know are going to happen just like we didn't see the app economy. There's going to yeah. be a lot to happen with this right. space too.
0: Right. So is this, so right now the current state of play is till 25th, February, 2015, these regulations were not in place. They were put in place at about two years, saw some slowdown. I'm just summarizing, saw some slowdown in investment when that Appeared to be lessening with the Trump administration coming in, with the idea that they would repeal this. Um, you've seen that investment flow again. Is this going to be what? What? What's the legal structure? As someone who's a former FCC commissioner, is this going to be a political football that every single time a Democrat, you know, gets in, uh, if we have, you know, President Kamala Harris in in 2020 or 2024, is, are we going to have net neutrality and state it again? And how does that? affect well answer that question first then last yeah of all. no I, th-
1: I think we will um I think it's a top priority for each party you know, you know remember it used to be the bipartisan consensus to not have title two it was unanimous right. and now uh you have one party that's that's changed its mind it's become a smaller religious conviction um is that because it,
0: there's so much energy with young people on this issue because technology's you know it's just been part of their life i that was again what struck me in this debate was the when it when it came out it was just the fervor i mean it, and I, I won't go too much into it but a jeep the fcc uh chairman commission chairman had death threats he had people um doing some really awful things uh in a really personal level because of this which is it, when you've been in washington a while you're like this is ridiculous there's regulations that get passed every day that have way more in- impact on people's lives and this is what people are doing death threats over
1: yeah, I think it, it does energize a certain segments. Uh, people get very inflamed and have, as you said at the outset, very strong opinions over something about which they know very little to nothing uh, because of, in all honesty, I think how they've been manipulated by yeah. the coverage of it. right? Um, and that has a lot, a lot to do with it. So you're absolutely back to your core yeah, question, which the, is, the, yeah, uh, it, I think it will be a pendulum that goes back and forth depending on which party wins the White House. And that's why I think – You need bipartisan, and I'm trying not to be naive here, but bipartisan legislation that codifies and kind of settles the question. I I don't think you need it as a matter of law. I've already said that uh, uh, 20 times in this uh, talk uh, about their existing laws that already do the trick. But uh, I think there could be more regulation in the Internet space. Generally, you have a big concern now regarding privacy with Cambridge Analytica or what some folks – uh, perceive happened with the uh, election and, and uh, interference and things like that. Um, so, or people with the now growing uh, awareness of how much data do some companies have on you, and also data breaches. I've had my uh, you know bank account raided and credit card stolen uh, countless times at this point.
0: So, um, uh, so you're in the, favor. Just to be clear, you're in favor of regulation. Is well, it, when it's appropriate.
1: Well, and I think it already exists. I think the law already exists, so I don't think yeah. you need a new law. But I think okay. in order to keep the pendulum swinging back and forth of you're going to have Title II, not Title II, Title Two, not Title Two every 4, 8, 16, whatever years, um, But can we just settle this? So what, yeah. are, what are the real concerns? Right. If, is it something more than cynical? If it's all just cynical, please regulate my rival but not me, then you don't want a deal like that. Yeah. But is there – But the point I was trying to make is if all – parties involved starting with consumers uh, but content and app providers and internet service providers if they all have something to lose uh, which they all do I think at this point um, then maybe there's a chance for compromise so unfortunately compromise doesn't come about if you all have something to win Uh, but do they all have something to lose and then you can split the loaf and then they can win at the end of the uh, the game Uh, I think that's uh far fetched i think with a divided congress or even one party control i think it's going to be very very hard to produce any legislation but i think that's the only solution otherwise yeah every yeah. 4 8 12 or 16 years you're going to have the pendulum swinging So it of
0: it, it oftentimes in these areas where you know major corporations are are trying to make their business plans long term they want clarity i worked for a corporation in your building across the street general electric for a while yep. um and it was interesting to kind of see that firsthand that that uh, having stability and being able to plan with surety on a business plan, even if it wasn't in the, even if the regulation that was being put in place would harm business, just being able to know that it's, hey, I've got stability here, I know this is what it's going to be like, I can build a plan around that, um, was favorable oftentimes to getting the regulation, as Americans often think, uh, to make it the most beneficial to the corporation. So this seems like an area where both the ISPs and the uh, content providers, or at least the ISPs would want stability to know, all right, we can plan our networks out like this because we know we can have a business model that's going to work. Does that also work for the content providers? Because for them, obviously, the more access they have and the more uh, able they're able to utilize these networks, um, maybe they don't have the same incentive. Uh, so... Do you ever see this kind of settling on both sides, where they both just want something stable, or is it always going to be a little bit of an imbalance there with between the ISPs and the content providers?
1: So, excellent question. So, every business wants certainty. You can plan, just like you said, you yeah. can plan around certainty. Sometimes the word "no" or you can't do that—that's certainty—and uh, you can plan around it. But if that's going to change, you're not sure how that's interpreted. And that then becomes sort of mother, may I? You have to ask permission from the government. Government, mother, may I do X? And you have to wait. Um, Then that's a problem. and Then you just don't want to do X, whatever that is. Um, So uh, the the content providers want to make sure that they're not going to be gouged in their defense, that they're not going to be gouged by Internet service providers to deliver their content. At the same time, an economist will tell you that Uh, the content that is delivered to you the consumer that costs money you got to build a network that's big enough and fast enough to deliver it to the consumer so that's a a cost causer someone who causes a cost and that cost has to be uh, recouped plus a reasonable profit in order for you to be able to raise the money from the investment community to build the network to begin with so those seem to be at odds with one another thus far though it's actually worked Uh, But do you want all of the costs to be borne by consumers? Right. Um, And the answer, consumers would say, no, I didn't realize I was bearing all the costs. But you, you know, you could be. Um, So right now markets are working. It's all working. It is working. Can I say that again? Yes. It's all working without (laughs) new rules. Right. um, And there is no systemic failure. Uh, And I'd be happy to entertain, you know, Questions. There was a, an issue regarding Verizon and some California firefighters over the past couple of weeks, and that was bad service. That wasn't singling out the fire department sure. to to uh, screw up their uh, firefighting operations. That was just bad service and incompetence on someone's part. It had nothing to do with net neutrality or whatever right. you know, Title II. Um, but that's brought up is this is why we need regulation. And like, no, that's not. Yeah, that's, that's so such a departure from the original quote net neutrality" end quote right. idea. Right. That has nothing to do with it. It's just bad service. Someone didn't perform the job they were being paid to do. Yeah, it wasn't uh, anti-competitive. In any case, um, uh, they want to make you know content providers want to make sure they're not going to be gouged. Uh, so, c- you know, could they come to some accommodation with ISPs in a in a in a, in a what we call ex ante or before the fact legal construct versus uh, competition law and antitrust law, which tends to be ex post or stuff that's enforced after the fact. Yeah, it could be theoretically, um, but I'm not very optimistic, certainly in the next two to four years.
0: Yeah. So in the end, the we've had an incredible – the Internet's been an incredible run for, I think, anyone living today. The, the things we can do are perpetually us. I think there are some definite uh, negatives. I don't remember things as well as I used to because I don't need to. I've got Google in my pocket all the time. But maybe that's me getting older too. I don't know um but the internet thrived under the old system uh, put in place by the, the Clinton Gore administration and and continued thriving until 2015 and you know we uh are now back to that same uh regime and and you expect it to continue thriving going forward absolutely in
1: fact more so i think the the next generation like i said before 5g uh is going to have a lot of wonderful surprises and and look this be honest, there are good things and bad things that come with internet connectivity, especially if you have kids, you're, you know, trying to police uh, certain content and things from them. Uh, there's uh, privacy issues. There are a lot of issues, but net, net, I think history will look back, you know, 500 years from now and say that that dissemination of knowledge is a good thing. It's good for democracy. It's good for free markets. It's good to overall improve the human condition. Uh, and I think uh, we need to rely on our engineers and give them the freedom to innovate and entrepreneurs, the freedom to experiment uh, and take risks uh, in order to bring us new products and services that we can't even imagine today. And the next generation 5G of wireless will uh, offer a lot of surprises. So the next five to 10 years are going to be full of surprises. What do, you, what
0: do you? Most, just to give you a little anecdote, when I was an intern in DC in the 90s, <laughs> we had an FCC commissioner like yourself come and speak to my college group. And at the time, cell phones were just kind of coming, becoming something that Kids had this is I don't know ninety seven I think and uh, I remember him talking about not in the uh, you know near too distant future people won't have home phone lines you'll just live off your cell phone and I remember sitting there going are you are you nuts how could you you know because at the time service was spotty and, right and it's it's just fascinating that you say you know I I thought that had a lot of foresight which at the time if you're a FCC commissioner I think was pretty clear that was that's where we were headed. Even, as you mentioned, I think that's a great a- anecdote about 2006 that you guys didn't see the app economy coming right. and, and, and all that. Um, what excites you most coming in the next eight to ten? As somebody who who follows this issue closely, what you mentioned 5G, but what are some of the innovations you see that we're on the brink of that, that could be transforming?
1: So you'll literally, I think, be able to ha- – so for any – star trek fans from next generation star trek there's the holodeck i mean that's Mm -hmm. could be replicated now but you could actually have uh immersive entertainment experiences but beyond entertainment because that's where the money might be but for medical purposes or training purposes for could be forest service or medical professionals or soldiers Mm -hmm. or whatever uh, that's going to be transformational um you're going to the growth of haptic so some you know if you have a uh, Ready Player I've,
0: One just came out, which is all about that.
1: Yeah, so haptics is that's becoming a thing now, a yeah. word. So people, you know, if your phone vibrates or shakes or makes a noise, uh, to kind of give you the sensation of, of fireworks popping or whatever the case might be, um, you're going to see more of that. So it's going to be the sensory internet. Yeah, is okay. going to be interesting. That's going to convey more information. Um, so you know, whether it's medicine, I think one of the the biggest areas where it'll be helpful will be medicine. Uh, you're going to see more technologies that are embedded in people, um, and that's you know for better or for worse. Yeah. There's a, good, a privacy problem, hacking, exposure, all the rest. But for medical purposes, it could change and extend and enrich Life. people's lives right. incredibly. Um, so it's really unlimited. Uh, I mean, there's everything from precision agriculture. Of course, people love to talk about driverless cars. I'm still skeptical that the insurance and, and legal professions will uh, allow those to happen right. uh, too soon, um, but maybe someday. Um, uh, we just don't know. Uh, so, Internet of Things offers uh, tremendous vision. It's really unlimited. Um,
0: and uh, stay tuned. It's going to be a wild well, ride. Great. Well, we appreciate you coming today. And kind of, I think it's good to take a step back on this issue, just understand and appreciate what's happened in the last 30 years in our lives 25, 30 years with the, with the Internet step back from the hype on net neutrality and, and the fears and, and realize that we got here because of the regulatory regime that was in place and, and it'll continue to to uh, bless and, and help us prosper in the, in the future. So Absolutely. We ought
1: to do this again in a year. We can see just how horrible the world is now uh, because of those Title II rules that yes. went away. It won't be horrible at all. It'll be much better. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Rob. Thank you for having me. I also want to thank all of our listeners for downloading our podcast today. I hope it was informative and, and helped you understand this issue in, in, a, in a deeper way. Um, please subscribe and tell your friends about Policy Talk. And if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to contact us at PolicyTalk@hudson.org. That's PolicyTalk@hudson.org. From all of us here at Hudson Institute, we appreciate you joining us. I'm Brian Blake. Thank you for listening.